Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Tracy, we're still talking about Ouija boards. We are. <laughs> uh, we promised listeners some corporate intrigue at the top of episode one, and we've already given some in that episode, but you're about to get a little more. Uh, we are also going to cover in today's part two some legal and pop culture appearances of the Ouija board in the 20th century, and we're going to end with a little discussion of psychology. Uh, heads up, if you skipped part one, none of the people we're about to talk about are going to make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, we do just jump right into the middle of something right here. Uh, and that is that we ended part one with William Fold and Ouija Novelty Company choosing not to continue their licensing deal with Isaac Fold and Brother. This cut Isaac totally out of the business and gave his brother, William, licensing rights as a solo entity. There was also a second part of William Fold's license that would cause even more problems for people who were not William Fold. In 1902, Harry Wells Rusk sold out his interest in the company to Bowie, and Bowie had granted William Fold the only manufacturer license for Ouija boards. He was the only person who had a right to make spirit boards using the Ouija name. But he didn't only manufacture Ouija boards. He was tired of dealing with competitors on the market. We'll talk about those momentarily. So Fold thought that he could undercut his competitors by introducing his own non-Ouija talking boards to the market at a lower price than competitors. This other non-Ouija board was the Oracle board. So not only was Fold the only man licensed to make and distribute Ouija boards, he also got the largest slice of the competitor market. Suddenly, the company, and Fold in particular, was making money just hand over fist, and some of his former colleagues were kind of feeling like they had been shafted. I think that's a fair feeling. Yeah, uh, just in case anybody doesn't recall, Fold had been essentially an employee that was working in the shop manufacturing when he suddenly got put in charge of the company. 
by uh, Colonel Washington Bowie, who had paid the most into the startup fund for the company because of their friendship. Definitely some uh, who you know helps your entire career situation going on. Uh, And at this point, he has gotten rid of everyone else involved, so he's the only one making profits from it, as well as paying royalties to Bowie and Rusk. So after Charles Kennard had been pushed out of the company, you'll recall the first Ouija board-making company was named after him. He had moved to Chicago, Illinois, and started another company, Northwestern Toy and Manufacturing Company. This had actually been a company that was a branch unit of Kennard before the reorg, so it had been making Ouija boards. This company was then also in transition because it had been cut. And Kennard thought that they already had the setup, they could manufacture their own talking boards. And so they developed and sold what they called the Volo talking board. It was similar to the Ouija, of course, but it had a few key differences. The layout was pretty different uh, as these things go. The letters appeared in a funnel shape at the center of the board, and the numerals were split into two columns, one on either side of that funnel. It also featured an option that I thought was quite clever for a weather report from the beyond because the words clear and rain were included as options situated at opposite sides of the board. And despite having made changes to the design and layout, the Volo was still too similar to the Ouija board. Ouija Novelty Company made a legal complaint of infringement and Volo production stopped after only three months. Kennard tried again. In 1897, he had started making a talking board under the name of America Toy Company back in Baltimore and with partners J.M. Raffle and Albert Strobel. This board was called an Ajili. Colonel Bowie, William Fold, and Ouija Novelty were once again ready with legal action, and the Ajili was gone almost as quickly as the Volo board had been. So he not only had been pushed out of the company that had once borne his name, he had been legally blocked from making similar products while Fold amassed just a huge fortune after taking the helm. Elijah Bond, he was the lawyer who had secured the first patent on the Ouija board, tried his hand at making his own talking boards with little success. In 1907, he introduced what was called the Nirvana Board under the Swastika Novelty Company. This was obviously well before the rise of the Nazi party and the swastika's association with it. Bond was likely trying to use the word Sanskrit origins as a way to bring an air of ancient mysticism to his board, which did feature a swastika in the design. Regardless, there were not very many of these made, and the Nirvana board was never a real contender for market share. Meanwhile, the battle between the Fold brothers continued and it kept going. William had formed the William Fold Manufacturing Company as the follow-up to Isaac Fold and Brother to continue production of Ouija boards. He filed for an injunction to keep Isaac from making Ouija boards and any other games that had been patented by William. There were several of these that they had been making when they were still in business together. I really wish we could find out what happened between those two brothers. Um... However, this injunction did not seem to dissuade Isaac Fold, who started making a talking board under the name Oriole in 1904. It took him a long time to get the Oriole to production, though, all the way until 1919 when he founded the Southern Toy Company. But like everyone else who tried to compete with Ouija, his efforts were for naught. A judge ruled in 1920 that William was the only brother who had a right to make Ouija boards. During testimony in Fold versus Fold, Colonel Washington Bowie gave a statement that credited Reich, not Kennard, and not Fold for creating the Ouija board, though the company was the owner of the patent through Bond's filing. William had gone to great lengths to assure his victory in this case. Again, that's 1920, and that argument started in 1901, so it legally played out for. 19 years between these two brothers. And as things were reaching their fever pitch in 1920, William had started writing letters to stores telling them that if they carried Isaac's Oriole board, they were in violation of his trademark. William Fold bought out Colonel Bowie in 1919, the year before the legal battle between the brothers concluded. He'd also built a new high-dollar three-story factory to modernize production. In the press following his legal victory over his brother, it was often touted that William had made a million dollars as the maker of Ouija boards. 
He was always insistent that he did not believe in the Ouija board as a spiritual connection. He told reporters who visited him at home, quote, believe in the Ouija board? I should say not. I'm no spiritualist. I'm a Presbyterian. Yeah, it's interesting because some of those articles um, actually pump up the number in terms of how much money he made to $3 million. In any case, it had to have just been like salt in the wound already to his brother and anybody else he had been in business with. In 1920, despite having made all of that money, William Fold sued the collector of internal revenue in Baltimore, claiming that his excise taxes had been overstated by $200. That number was based on the table of taxes for goods that were categorized as games or amusements. Because the corporate image of the Ouija had always straddled the fence between amusement and mysticism, Fold's lawyers took the tack that this wasn't a game because there was no opponent. If the tax collector wanted to classify it as a game, that would only work if they were willing to recognize that spirits were the opponents. Yes, this absolutely does conveniently ignore the fact that there are plenty of games like Solitaire that a person can play without an opponent. But the real wavering point of the court was the fact that the Ouija board was already being used by psychologists to study the unconscious mind. So it didn't really seem right to consider it just a game. However, because the company sold it as an amusement, the tax assessment was ruled correct. Fold appealed the decision right up through the court system until it was thrown out by the Supreme Court. Plenty of games are used in scientific studies, so this is a <laughs> kind of weird argument to me. Well, it is a weird argument, and I think the the real foundation of how weird it is is that Fold and the Ouija, the various companies that made Ouija, did try to straddle that line between mysticism and game to get the greatest market share. But then, like, if you categorize your thing a certain way, that's what it is, and that's how you get taxed. And then they're like, no, 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 but it's also this. Um, you can't play both sides. That is definitely a case of corporate trying to have its cake and eat it, too. In 1927, William Fold was on the roof of his factory, supervising the replacement of a flagpole when the support that he was leaning on gave way. He managed to grab onto the ledge of one of the windows for a moment, but he couldn't maintain his grip, and he fell to the ground. He broke an arm, a leg, five ribs, and also sustained a concussion. He was rushed to Johns Hopkins, where he died from his injuries. But on his deathbed, Fold reportedly asked his three children to promise to keep the company going, which they did. Coming up, we'll talk about a 1940s newspaper article that had a lot of questionable details. First, we will take a quick sponsor break before we get to that. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. In 1944, so in the late stages of World War II, journalist James P. Connolly wrote an article for the Baltimore Sun about the jump in Ouija board sales during the war. He interviewed William Arthur Fold, son of William Fold, for the piece, and there are a lot of inaccurate details in it. According to the article, which ran on May 18, 1944, Fold's father invented the Ouija board and held the first patent. We know all of that's incorrect. When asked why the Ouija board was once again experiencing a surge in sales, William Arthur Fold stated, quote, We have done a lot of missionary work on it through the years, and of course, it is the times also. In times like these, people take up things like the Ouija to find out what their sons and husbands are doing on the other side of the world. We don't put it out to be used in a serious way. It's just an amusement, that's all. There are even more details in the article that are out of step with the facts of the Ouija board's origins in early years, as is supported by documentation. William Arthur tells the Wee-Ya version of the board's name, but also embellishes the timeline of the game's success. He says that the board only had moderate success initially, but as World War I approached, the board itself told his father, William Fold, quote, to prepare for big business said it was this message that catalyzed the expansion of the factories. This reminds me of all of the soft drink manufacturers that say they got the recipe in a dream. Yes, it's very much like that. Um, And, like, the Folds were really good at marketing, but this is just documented as not... (laughs) He said, it's like, wait, they, they expanded starting a year after... They started selling these boards in 1892. So an interesting but brief section of the article includes some commentary from doctors on the rumors that Ouija boards could cause insanity. One unnamed doctor told the paper that he did not think that Ouija boards caused it, but he did think that they revealed it. Although William Arthur Fold was apparently quite dedicated to the company and his siblings Catherine and Hubert were as well, Eventually, they sold it. They all experienced their own failing health. Parker Brothers purchased it from them in 1966. Parker Brothers moved production of the Ouija from Baltimore to Salem, Massachusetts. The year after Parker Brothers acquired the company, two million Ouija boards were sold. Hasbro acquired Parker Brothers in 1991 and still manufactures Ouija boards. Are they still made in Salem, do you know? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, I th- well, I mean, they're made in a lot of different places sure. at this point, right? I'm like, just curious. They're made in factories all around the world. There might still be one in Salem, or I would think it would be outside of Salem because it's not that big a place. But maybe they have a warehouse district I'm not aware of. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, you can still literally go online and buy one. You can walk into a toy store if you can find a toy store and buy one. Uh, any of your big box retailers that have toy sections usually have something like it. If not uh, uh, a Ouija trademark, then something very similar. Uh, Ouija boards became part of popular culture more or less as soon as they were introduced. This isn't something new that, like, grew along with 
uh, our ability to consume retail items at a shocking rate, it has always kind of been in the public consciousness. In 1920, Norman Rockwell featured one in a Saturday Evening Post illustration for the cover. It features a man and a woman seated knee-to-knee with a Ouija board spread across their laps. One of the big appeals for Ouija boards early on is that they were popular because the board setup had the requirement that the people involved would touch the planchette uh, and touch each other's knees. And all of this was creating a situation where there was a socially acceptable way for young couples to have kind of casual physical contact. So Ouija was a little flirty as well. Yeah, I uh, I didn't go, like, dive into the story of this painting, which is what's going to be on our social media for this episode, but it definitely looks like a couple on a date. Like, Yes, 100%. There's not really a different way to interpret it. There were even some advertisements that were like, geared towards young men of, like, buy a Ouija board for your lady. (laughs) It was definitely like, you could have a date where you could touch her and it would not be considered untoward. (laughs) (laughs) So, not all the press appearances of the Ouija board have been so charming, though. For more than a century, news accounts have included stories of people who used Ouija boards in ways that were considered questionable or silly or sometimes even very dangerous. One of the earliest of these that popped up in my research was a notice in the Baltimore Sun about a divorce. This ran on March 26, 1905, so pretty early in all of this, and it read, quote, a decree of divorce separating Frank B. Aulick of Chicago from Mabel L. Aulick, now a resident of Columbus, Ohio, was amended today by Judge Aurora so as to give custody of the child of the couple to the husband. Mrs. Aulick made no defense to charges that she consulted a Ouija board to determine on her actions. In 1921, the Ouija was central to a defamation case in Chicago when Mrs. Frank Walter sued one of her friends for spreading rumors about her based on what the Ouija had told her. Walter's friend, Mrs. Albert Yost, claimed that her spirit board had identified Mrs. Walter as the person who had burgled her home. In a quote to the Chicago Tribune, Mrs. Walter stated, quote, You see, she accused me of burglarizing her house on November 15, 1919, stealing raisins, salt, and a couple of pounds of apricots. She says she knows I did it because the Ouija told her. Mrs. Walter wanted $10,000 for the injury to her reputation, but she did not win that suit. Sounds like somebody was low on supplies to make chewy cookies. I'm not... <laughs> I'm like, was it mice, maybe? (laughs) I know, right? Um, There is a very convoluted murder case in New York in 1930 that also brought the Ouija board into the courtroom as part of the killer's defense. This one has some really tricky aspects to it and a lot of racism because the murderer, Mrs. Nancy Bowen, was reportedly a member of the Seneca Nations. I'm saying reportedly because we don't know much more in terms of specifics because news coverage of the day generally used descriptors of her that would absolutely be considered slurs today and often have very little meaning. But Bowen did murder the wife of sculptor Henri Marchand. Well, the story gets more complicated because another woman, Lillian Jemerson, was said to have goaded Bowen on through the use of a Ouija board, using this novelty to convince Bowen that Clotilde Marchand was a witch Lillian, who went by Lila, had also provided the murder weapon, which was a hammer. Lila Jemerson, who was also identified in reports as Seneca, posed for Marchand in his sculptures representing people of Seneca Nation. During this trial, it came out that Lila and Henri had been having an affair. Marchand testified on the stand that many of the affairs he had had uh, with what are simply referred to in pretty much all the articles as Native women was a, quote, professional necessity, and that his wife had known about his extramarital relationships. This whole story is such a ball of things to get irate about. That's gross. Validly so. <laughs> um. His professional necessity is like, well, that was the only way I could get them to pose nude for me. To which I say, I don't like you. Um, 
there were two trials involved before all of this was said and done because the first was declared a mistrial. That was because Lila became sick and they couldn't finish. Bowen eventually pled guilty to manslaughter. She, of course, uh, was found guilty because she had pled and she served one year in prison. Lillian Jimerson was acquitted, but all of the press coverage involved had the effect of reinforcing two social beliefs of the day. One was that the Ouija board was just a silly toy. And more nefarious, two, that indigenous people were stupid enough to fall for the mythos that it was not. Marchand, incidentally, married his deceased wife Clotilde's 18-year-old niece not long after the second trial ended. Another murder in November of 1933 involved instructions from a Ouija board, and this was especially tragic. Ernest J. Turley was shot by his 15-year-old daughter, Maddie. The teenager testified that during a seance with her mother over a Ouija board, the board had instructed her to shoot her father because her mother, Irene Turley, was destined to marry, quote, a young cowboy. Maddie also stated that her mother had commented at the time that, quote, the board should not be denied. Maddie pled guilty to an attempted murder in juvenile court and was sent to a reform school. Yeah, it's extra sad because when it happened, he did not die immediately, and he presumed that it had been an accident, that her gun had accidentally discharged. Dorothy Irene Turley, that was her full name, who had been a beauty queen in her youth, that comes up in all of the articles, was charged with intent to murder. She tried to have this case dismissed several times, but was unsuccessful. And in June of 1934, after 16 hours of jury deliberation, Mrs. Turley was found guilty. She was sentenced to 10 to 25 years in the state penitentiary. On a lighter note, the Ouija board appeared on I Love Lucy in 1951 in an episode from the first season that's titled simply The Seance. The episode starts with Lucy talking about numerology to Ricky, but through a series of madcap events, the Ricardos end up hosting a seance in their home to help seal a business deal with the theatrical producer who is into the spiritual and is trying to contact somebody named Tilly on the other side. This is obviously an old show, but it's just perpetually on in syndication and reruns and stuff everywhere. We don't want to spoil the ending in case anybody listening wants to go watch it. The point, though, really, besides the plot, is just to show that the Ouija board was not taken seriously at all. Lucy was just working this magic, pretending to be the voice of the spirit in a very obvious way. Yeah, that's not that's not the reveal. The reveal of that episode is very funny to me, and I still laugh every time I see it, uh, which is why I don't want to give it away in case nobody has had it. I want you to have that moment where you realize what's going on. Uh, and in 1958, the Ouija board was invoked in yet another legal case. This one is very odd, and it involves a will. When Helen Dow Peck died in 1955 at the age of 83, her relatives anticipated that she would have left them each a portion of her pretty considerable fortune. But when Helen's will was read, there was a surprise in the form of a very unusual bequest. Peck left the two members of her household staff $1,000 each, and then the remainder of her money, $178,000, was to go to a man named John Gale Forbes. But no one knew who John Gale Forbes was, not even Mrs. Peck. She included information in her will that the name had been spelled out by a Ouija board when she and her late husband, Frank Peck, had been playing with one almost 40 years earlier in 1919. Helen believed that Peck was a real person who was alive and that he was in a mental institution because he was telepathic and that he had used that telepathy to contact her through the Ouija board. Initially, although Peck's nieces and nephews contested the will, Authorities insisted that there be a thorough search for this John Gale Forbes. They needed to go find him. Newspaper articles ran all across the country, encouraging anyone named John Gale Forbes to reach out. And although this strange bequest may have come as a total surprise to Helen's relatives, she had mentioned this man to some of her closest friends over the years. And among her effects were notes about each time she believed she had had contact with him, and that dated back at least to the 1930s. Helen had also made a provision in her will that if Mr. Forbes could not be found, the money should be used to start a John Gale Forbes Memorial Fund, 
That fund would help identify people who were classified as insane but were actually telepathic. After several years of searching for any indication of Forbes being a real person, Peck's will was rejected by the probate court. That happened in 1958, and at that point, her estate was split up among her heirs. Now, I do love the idea of setting up a memorial fund for a person that never existed as a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just telling you, I'm thinking hard and seriously about that. (laughs) We are going to talk next about the film that usually comes up as a turning point in the Ouija board's image after we first hear from the sponsors who keep Stuff You Missed in History class going. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Throughout the early 20th century, even though there were, as we've noted, some serious legal cases that invoked the Ouija board, it still had kind of a silly reputation as a game. And when people claimed they had used it to talk to spirits, they were usually not taken seriously or they were simply written off as crazy. But starting in 1973 with the movie The Exorcist, Ouija boards started to be featured in horror films. And suddenly there were plenty of people who seemed genuinely concerned about the possibility that this game could open up access to demonic spirits. In case you have not seen it, we're giving away nothing. It's at the very beginning. In The Exorcist, the character of Reagan tells her mother that she uses the Ouija board to talk to an entity named Captain Howdy. In our episode on the case of Roland Doe, that was the real-world case that inspired the book and then the film The Exorcist, we also talked about how the boy involved was said to have been introduced to the Ouija board by his aunt, who he tried to contact through the board after her death, and that the church believed that that was how he became possessed. 
Since then, the Ouija board has been characterized as a more sinister tool of darkness in a variety of media, including horror films. Some of them are simply titled Ouija. There's also a very campy-looking one titled Ouija Shark, which I had not heard of until Holly mentioned it. Holly has never watched it either. <laughs> I, I can't. You're... I can't wait. I literally cannot wait. I I was like yelling at Brian in the middle of the night. I was like, "There's a Ouija Shark movie." <laughs> As I mentioned, though, the Ouija board is still sold as a novelty. I haven't been in a toy store or toy aisle in a while, but I super remember seeing them next to things like Candyland. A hundred percent. This gets to the next question, though, if it's a novelty, right? What is really happening when you play with a Ouija board or a similar game? There have been many, many different explanations given over the decades for how a Ouija board works. And if you accept that it's nothing mystical then what explains the experiences that some people have when using one? So it turns out there's been a pretty clear sense of what is going on just about since the Ouija board first appeared on the market, or at least there have been a number of pretty plausible ideas. The Ouija board and its relatives were definitely not believed to be supernatural conduits by everybody. There were probably more skeptics than believers even at the height of the spiritualist movement in the United States. Even before the Ouija board rose to popularity, scientists were examining the paranormal and supernatural through a critical and scientific lens. Dr. A. Campbell Clark wrote an article on automatic writing for the British Journal of Medicine in 1894, which opened with, quote, a good deal of brain energy has been and is being expended in studying the phenomena of so-called spiritualism. The hypnotic furor is replaced for the present by the revival of the spiritualistic. But outside the throng so possessed are thoughtful observers, not carried away by the new cult, observing and reflecting carefully and searching critically for the truth through the maze of error and superstition. Automatic writing was a popular element of spiritualist practices in the 19th and early 20th centuries. The idea was that people could write without consciously doing so, often in an almost trance-like state, Sometimes a person would sit down with the necessary implements for writing and then would focus on something else, usually something mystical in nature, with the hopes that an automatic writing session would happen. While behaviors like automatic writing have been around for centuries and in other parts of the world, in the time that the U.S. was in its spiritualism rise, it became very, very popular. A lot of people believed it was a way that the dead might speak through the living to physically convey a message. Just as the planchette's evolution from a pencil version to the pointer version used with the talking board sped up the process of communication, it alleviated the need to decipher scribbly writing, the talking board also offered a faster tool than automatic writing, sort of sidestepped trying to make out anybody's penmanship But the idea of unconscious communication persisted here as well. There were definitely people who believed that if you got to a place where you were unconscious of the planchette and the board before you, it would move unconsciously as a spirit communicated. The Baltimore Sun ran a number of articles and op-ed pieces in the early 20th century about the Ouija board, which indicate pretty deep skepticism. Because the Ouija board is considered to have been born in Baltimore, it makes sense that the Sun would have an ongoing interest in it as the subject of articles. In February of 1909, the Ouija board is mentioned in a Baltimore Sun article titled True Stories of the Supernatural Told by Readers of the Sun. This one has sort of a scientific bent stating in the early paragraphs, quote, the strange force does not lie in the Ouija board, the planchette, or the table, but in some unexplained faculty of the human mind which is called into play by the quietude, the expectancy and receptiveness of its attitude, the planchette or other instruments merely serving as a convenient means of expression. This account, written by a reader going only by the initials SM, is about using the Ouija as a tool to unlock psychic channels and describes the Ouija board giving answers to questions posed to suggest that it is, quote, hampered by your wills. 
The Baltimore Evening Sun included a query about the function of the Ouija board in its editor answers section on August 23rd of 1911. To the query, can you explain to me how words are spelled out on the Ouija board? The editor replied, quote, There is nothing at all occult or mysterious about the Ouija board. Its motion is due to the fact that few persons are able to keep their hands in so constrained a position for any considerable time. Soon or late, someone in the group is sure to move the board, and once it starts, it keeps going. It spells out definite words in two ways. Sometimes the strong, if not fully conscious, desire of a believer helps it along. At other times, the stimulation is furnished by a humorous scoffer. Both automatic writing and the spelling out of messages through a Ouija planchette have been analyzed from a scientific point of view, this included as part of Freud's psychodynamic theory. I'm just going to say some of Freud's theories were just kind of out there. As a note, uh, it's come under criticism for a variety of reasons. He may have been onto something with psychodynamic theory, although the specific drivers of what he thought was happening seem a little bit off. Freud believed that people's unconscious behaviors are expressing childhood experiences like trauma, and it does seem like the unconscious mind is an important part of the puzzle, although it may be more about things you haven't realized you learned at some point in your life rather than just a childhood experience. In more recent years, some very interesting psychological experiments have been conducted as examinations of the behavior and psychology of Ouija play. A team of researchers from the University of British Columbia conducted a series of tests using the Ouija board that had some interesting findings. Study participants were asked questions about general knowledge topics, things like capitals of countries or details or dates of recent history events. These are pretty easy questions that most people would know. Participants answered in two ways. In one round, they gave verbal answers, and they were asked to make guesses when they weren't sure. Then in another round, they were asked very similar questions, similar level of knowledge they would need, but they gave the answers using a Ouija board. The test participants believed they were playing with another person, but the other participant was a plant who was not moving the planchette. There's also a whole other thing with a robot that I'll talk about behind the scenes, but it's so hard to communicate and convey concisely that I left it out of this. But uh, on the round where they verbally answered, participants got about half of the questions right. But on the round where they had a Ouija board involved, their success rate went up to 65%. That may not sound like much, but it's really a significant difference. Ron Rensink, a psychology and computer science professor who was one of the researchers who wrote the paper on it, noted, quote, if you don't think so, consider the difference of playing roulette when the odds are 50-50 versus 65-35. I have various curiosities about, like, how many people were in this research and were they all psych majors getting extra credit? Uh, this research team's work suggested that participants were accessing non-conscious knowledge. It's things they knew, but weren't really aware that they knew. Sort of information that's been stored in the mind, but which a person can't consciously pull up. The idiomotor effect is at play when somebody uses the board, meaning their unconscious mind is moving the muscles needed to scoot the planchette around, so... The user might feel like they are not the one doing it, even though it is their own body that's creating this motion. And the findings of this study were published in the journal Consciousness and Cognition. As researcher and co-author Alain Gauchou put it, quote, These surprising findings suggest we have a powerful second intelligence resting beyond our conscious minds that can be accessed under the right conditions. We may believe we don't know an answer consciously, but actually have the right answer there in our subconscious. Maybe we heard it on the radio, but we weren't really paying attention. In 2012, Scott G. Eberly, Ph.D., who specializes in American intellectual history and has written extensively about games and toys and play, wrote an article about idiomotor action and the Ouija board for psychology today. At the end of the article, he notes that not everyone wants science to explain away their beliefs, and he offered a fun challenge, writing, quote, I've written about the Ouija board before, and afterward I heard plenty from an adamant few who didn't like the news that there are no such things as ghosts. 
In response, I offered them this simple test of paranormal claims. Try inviting the Ouija believer to wear a blindfold, then quietly rotate the game half a turn, then ask some mischievous questions of your own devising. Be nice now. If your subject has memorized the position of the letters or the yes and no answers on purpose or not, I promise you amusing and instructive results. (laughs) There is a nice coda to all of this that I wanted to include. There has been a really positive outcome of the ongoing interest in Ouija boards. Because of the research work that historian Ron Murch has done to tease out the actual facts about William Fold and the board's origin, he has a whole huge website about William Fold, which I read a lot of. Um, The feuding sides of the family, though, once separated by William and Isaac's disagreements, have been reunited. Merch told Baltimore Magazine in 2020 that descendants of both William and Isaac had reached out to him independently when he started sharing his work online, and he eventually asked Merch to connect them. They actually, it turned out, lived really close to each other, and they are reported to have been, quote, getting together regularly ever since. Just sort of a nice, nice finale to (laughs) that part of the story, which is a bit heartbreaking uh, to know that two brothers and their business stuff tore them apart. Um... I have listener mail. One is interesting because, to me, uh, it involves a food that is very autumnal, although it's not only autumnal. But it puzzled me. (laughs) It made me want to discuss it. Uh, This is from our listener, Nick, who writes, Hello, ladies. Great podcast. Have listened to y'all since the start, including the previous hosts. You had mentioned recently that cheese is a good topping for apple pie. Have you ever heard of dousing your pie in milk? My granddad on my mom's side used to do both, cheese and milk. I'm the outcast of my generation of the family because I drown my apple pie in milk. Generally, I prefer a birthday pie instead of cake, always apple. Keep up the good work. I enjoy it. Nick, I'm fascinated by this. And I will confess that initially I was like, why would you do that to pie? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you're kind of making pie cereal. And that actually sounds pretty good. (laughs) Uh, I've never done this with milk, but there have been some pies that I have put cream on. Always at somebody else's suggestion, like, we had this pie and we had this cream, and it was like, let's put some cream on the pie. Not whipped cream, like liquid cream from like the carton. Pour, pouring cream that you would put in coffee? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, and that's naturally sweet, so that actually makes sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you get an Irish coffee in a bar, they're using that cream because it naturally adds sweetness and you don't have to add sugar. Um... This is, it's fascinating. I To me, I'm like, mm, soggy pie, not so much. But again, then I was like, mm, cereal, I don't know. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I mean, right, like I used to love to mash uh, pie into ice cream and then kind of stir it until I made ice cream soup, which isn't that far afield from this. So <laughs> I understand. And now I want to make a pumpkin pie and then mash it into various creamy substances and see what I like. (laughs) Really, I just want excuses to eat pumpkin pie. Um, That was a very brief email, so I will uh, also read another brief one. This one is from our listener, Bryce, who writes, I just finished listening to the second part of the Charles Chapin episode, and I was not expecting to make a personal connection with the episode. But then you brought up the USS Maine's explosion in Havana Harbor. My third great uncle, Charles Dwight Sigsby, was the captain of the USS Maine when it sank. That story was one of my favorites to hear my great-grandmother tell me whenever I visited her growing up, although her telling never included that Charles was wrong and the Maine was not exploded by a Spanish mine. I am a huge fan of the podcast. They keep me entertained on my long commute to work. I look forward to every new episode that comes out. I will pay the kitty tax and include pictures of my two cats, Meowgatron, which is the best cat name, is a four or five-year-old tortoise tabby mix who loves me from a distance. And then I recently adopted a year-old gray American bobtail named Sebastian. These cats are really painfully cute. I love a bobtail. They're so sweet. Um, And, you know, torties have their own feelings about the world. And you you, uh, kind of have to play by their rules. Thank you so much to both of our listeners who sent us mail this week. If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. You can also find us on social media as Missed in History, and you can subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or 
wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.